Hello and welcome to our podcast, Changemakers Creating Impact for Wellbeing. We are your hosts, myself, Davina Ho, and Karen Kwong, co-founders of Corporate Wellness Partnership. Our mission is clear, to revolutionize well-being at work. We aim to challenge the status quo. Bored with poking around the edges of well-being at work, we want to demand real change within the workplace and empower people at the top, people with influence and people with stories like you to talk about your experiences of mental health, well-being and diversity. We will go deep. We will have uncomfortable conversations. But most importantly, we will have conversations that come from the heart. Welcome to our first season, Uncomfortable Conversations. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our next installment of Uncomfortable Conversations. I'm Davina Ho. I'm here with my partner of Corporate Wellness Partnership, Karen Kwong, and a relationship therapist and founder of Made for Relationships, Sweeney Koo, for this next installment of Uncomfortable Conversations. So today, as mentioned, we have Sweeney Koo, who is an experienced relationship therapist and founder of Made for Relationships. Made for Relationships, its name speaks for itself, as it is a center for therapeutic work for individuals who are going through a crisis in their relationship at home or at work. Sweeney comes from the corporate world prior to entering the therapeutic arena. She was a human resources business partner with OCBC and KPMG for more than 10 years. She has culminated years of experience working with business leaders in the banking, finance, consulting, and IT industries. Her work encompasses coaching leaders towards growth and greater emotional connection with their employees, helping individuals grow through transitions and career change, recruiting and developing talents for leadership roles in organizations. As a trained marriage and family counselor and psychotherapist, she works with couples, individuals, and children and families across a range of mental health and behavioral issues. Her experience was built through years of working in private practice in Singapore and serving various NGOs, volunteering in various girls' homes in Singapore and Focus the Family. The crux of her work focused on rebuilding family relationships, strengthening bonds, and helping individuals heal through attachment psychotherapy. Her mission is to bring hope and healing to the hurting, to journey with those whose lives are broken by tragedy and trauma, toward rebuilding of lives and giving them a hopeful future through therapy, counselling and care. She holds a Master of Arts in Counselling and currently a PhD candidate in Clinical Counselling. So with that said, thank you Sweeney for being here and welcome. Glad to join in your one of this session. So, um, I just wanted to share with everybody in the audience is listening um, something that you shared with us, Sweeney. So research informs us that family relationships are an important predictor of health and well-being. They're supportive social relationships that help us cope with stress and stay healthy and well. In longitudinal studies, good social relationships predicted mental health, interpersonal functioning, and even longevity. Strong social relationships indicated by good social integration increase the likelihood for survival by 50% whilst loneliness and social isolation can be understood as risk factors for poor health outcomes, leading to a reduction in longevity, especially for those under the age of 65. 
So, wow. So, Swaney, you know, I'm so pleased that you're here and sharing everything that you know on families and how family life has a huge impact on our health and well-being and how we then focus and that attention within the workplace. So one of the areas that kind of hit the media attention recently in Singapore with COVID has been the um, um, medical certificates, right? So we've obviously had COVID and a lot of people have been um, blocking to the doctor's surgeries, you know, looking for their medical certificates at the time of a COVID. And that just highlighted the issue that, um, you know, do workplaces trust their employees to take medical leave when adequate? The government said when it comes to COVID and you have a positive test at home, you no longer need a medical certificate. However, many people were still asking for certificates and it seemed like there was kind of no trust in the workplace. Um, you know, bosses were confused, people were confused, mm -hmm. medical services have been overwhelmed, you know, and it really showed, um, you know, kind of a system that doesn't seem to be working or kind of inviting health and well-being and trust in, into the workplace. I just wondered if you had any thoughts on this recent <laughs> um, you know, event. You know, the past two years, we all have been working from home or getting comfortable about working from home. So the recent, you know, rush to the clinics for third, it's kind of surprising, you know, because I would have thought that, come on, we're all settled at home, right? So there should be some trust that, you know, when your employees are working from home, they are actually for real working. And when they are not working, they are actually unwell or feeling unwell, or they have something going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the needing to, to certify that they're unwell and overwhelming the healthcare services is kind of a uh, you know, it's kind of quite surprising, basically. So it actually brought on a lot of, you know, brought on, you know, shed light on how trusting, you know, um, managers are of their employees, you know. I guess I also want to understand their concerns about this, but is it really necessary? Or is this anxiety self-inflicted? Yeah. <clears throat> but it, it does show how much people are anxious. Yeah, you know about certifying certifying that when they are unavailable for work, they can or they are allowed to rest or take care of something that's important to them. You know, yeah. And one of the areas I guess that I'm very concerned about is mental health, right? And the the stigma related to our mental health. And so when it comes to looking after yourself and your health and well being, you know maybe you know, let's say it's not COVID related, right? Let's talk about the mental health aspects and this needing mm -hmm. of writing certificates, right? Um, and I'm sure you've had this in your practice where, you know, maybe people are not so confident in speaking to their managers and saying, you know, I have some mental health issues I need to deal with or some issues at home. And then mm -hmm. that need to certify the sickness you know, can also create a lot of tension, I think, or an, an anxiety for people as well. And I just wondered what your thoughts were on that and whether, um, you know, you've got ways for people to um, approach that subject when it comes to speaking with their managers or their workplace. Well, this is something that is still ongoing. You know, people come in for sessions and um, they would, um, require 
you know, receipts, right? And they would want us to, you know, remove therapy or we just put their individual sessions, you know. A lot of times, okay, one of the good thing is that the name, my company doesn't show psychotherapy or psychology center or psychiatric center. So they feel comfortable to be able to ask me for a receipt, but it's kind of, um, you know, I feel for them where they do want to claim for, you know, mental health care or mental health treatment, but they feel anxious and fearful to share what they're going through. You know, and I, I guess sometimes, you know, um, the stigma of one having any mental health issue is still ongoing and we still have to, you know, um, you know, have discussions over this and conversations over this to kind of destigmatize the situation. Yeah. Because, okay. you know, I mean, the last two years, I, I think it's brought on a lot of, uh, you know, people coming in where they they, they shared about anxiety and um, some depressive symptoms they've had or relationship issues that they're struggling with, you know, uh, from being, you know, locked in at home, basically. But I wonder whether do people really are open to talk about it? Or share, you know, in the work context. Yeah. How I think you make are a... people open to share? Yeah. No, that's a fair point, Sweeney. And, and I think you make a really good point there around like having that constant anxiety and, you know, you bringing in that mental health aspect. Because typically, I would imagine, Sweeney, by the time they come and see you, it's probably quite serious already, you know, because it takes quite a lot for people to recognize that they're just not in the right space their anxiety levels are more than just normal whatever normal is and you know with with COVID I think it's gotten a lot worse um but you know what I've noticed for example is that with this sort of thing if they can't even address anxiety for normal and by the time they get to you they need to ask for a cert it, it would just seem almost arguably too late um, and, you know, if you imagine all that anxiety that people have sitting within them, and Stavina and, and you, Sweeney, both of you talked about trust. Um, recently, I had a client who said to me, um, they couldn't believe they were working in this situation where one of their colleagues got told off um, by their boss, because what happened was she ran down at lunchtime to, to run an errand to the supermarket, but also to get some lunch. And the line manager basically said you should have been working then instead of running errands during the daytime which to me sort of exemplifies the situation that you're talking about which is this kind of heightened anxiety but also this lack of trust which basically it's a vicious circle the more you know you don't have a, a sort of situation of trust in the workplace the higher the anxiety and you know it just becomes everyone's on edge it just sounds like um, whether it's medical certs and you can't typically you know as easily prove that you're not well mm. from essentially mental health stuff or whether it's just anxiety about being watched by your manager just because you ran an errand at lunchtime whilst getting a sandwich and why can't you exactly why can't you 
this reminds me about, um, I had a discussion with my client, a long discussion about how is she going to claim for her, you know, her visit to, uh, to get some med medicine, right? Medication for her depression and anxiety. We had to talk about it and, and she talked about issues where because when she goes in, it will be seen, people would know, and how would people see her? And the fear, the fear of, you know, thinking that she's unable to deliver, thinking that she's unable to work, or, you know, being, you know, things being taken from her, you know, or promotion being passed. These are things that people actually fear fear about. But I, I'm, I'm not sure it's actually openly shared, you know. Yeah. And what, so, what advice did you give her in that case, Winnie? I'd be really interested to know. I'm sure our listeners would be too, because, you know, it is a genuine, real fear especially if you're in the type of workplace that isn't forward thinking and doesn't have policies in place. And I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point, but I think workplaces do need to have, you know, those channels for, for people to, you know, official policies and channels for people to, to, to get the support they need. But, but what, what sort of advice did you give her? Was it more around how she can manage the situation? Was it about her or was it more to deal with her own fears on, you know, um, and expectations about her career in the future. I think we talked about her own fears of how people would see her. That was one thing. But at the end of the day, the only way that she could deal with her fear was just to bite in the bullet and just pay for the claim on her own, on her own accord, and just to continue treatment and to work on herself. Yeah. That's the really one thing that I it's good that it's happening, you know, um, like recently, um, organizations, they are disallowed from asking the question, have you been treated for depression on the application form? Um, I think it just happened in 2021. I, I wonder if you guys heard about this, this is in Singapore, okay, within the Singapore context, where um, the application forms for a job, you're not allowed to ask whether anyone has been treated for depression, you know. So this is a good change. Um, but at the same time, I hope that, you know, this stigmatize uh, people sharing that, you know, they are struggling from some form of mental health issue because talking about it does bring healing. Yeah. yeah. And other people, your colleagues or your supervisors being supportive of your treatment and you know you needing help and support, I think being open about it. I think you feel uh, you feel good. You feel that you know you can trust. You can trust your boss. You can trust your colleagues, and you're working in a very supportive environment. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very good point on the um, mental health side, right? Um, mm. so I think here. Uh, and, and recently, I think, I think it was maybe just this week, IMH said they're going to focus not just on kind of mental illness, but they're also going to look at mental health and well-being. And I think adding that word well-being into discussions in the workplace is that, you know, things like anxiety, depression, you know, 
they're not mental illnesses. They're just part of being, you know, your mental health, your general mental health and well-being. Whereas obviously, you know, this, outside of our discussion, we're not talking about here about mental illnesses, which do need genuine support and, and um, as well, but from a different aspect, right? And I think the, the mental health and um, well-being side has been kind of forgotten and everything's been backskitted into if you have depression, you're mentally ill. If you have anxiety, you're mentally ill. If you have, you know, it's, it's very much that way. People don't recognize that it's okay to have up periods of times and down periods of times, um, you know, within your life. At this stage, I mean, what would you then say, having been in HR as well, et cetera, what will you then say to an organization who's going, yeah, I kind of want to support them, but quite frankly, I don't really know how, but also I don't really, how do I, how do we shift the education and awareness for organizations and managers, for example, to have them understand that someone who's on your team who's depressed isn't necessarily a laggard who's not going to be a drag on the company, you know, because fundamentally that's where the organization's coming from. And, you know, we can talk about her being, how, I guess, essentially, how do we get an organization to trust that if they support someone who has depression, that it's also okay for them to do that? I think education, it comes from educating. I think, you know, making it, uh, you know, teaching it to HR professionals could be a good start where this could be, you know, um, you know, shared with management. It, it could be a, a part of a management training to be aware of the mental, mental health issues that's, that's, you know, in our society today and how to handle the staff who is actually having, you know, a, a mental health struggle at the moment. How can you be supportive, you know? And, you know, one of the things that I, I mean, having experienced, you know, coming from the HR background, right? I, I went into studying um, mental health area of psychology. I mean, with this reason, with, you know, as a backstory, you know, um, what happened was that I left my HR job when it was the, 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 what do you call that? The banking crisis, the financial crisis in 09, 010. And one of the things is that I had multiple, I mean, I've had experience of staff having multiple, uh, a very varied staff actually who break down in the office. And many of us didn't know how to handle them. I had to chase some staff that was AWOL, who wouldn't pick up my calls. They couldn't come to work. We didn't know how to deal with them, really. And when we started having to cut employees, you know, the first thing that we had to do was to cut these people who are not functioning, right? Who are able. How do you do that? <laughs> it was the most challenging year. The last, I mean, those two years were the most challenging years as, you know, the, you know, in banking, we had to downsize. But how do you manage it when you have people who are struggling in the, you know, in their mental health? Or, if, I mean, it's similar to someone's that, struggling with a medical issue, right? And, 
and to to consider them to you know cut them off how do you do that so mental health awareness creating that in the organizations is so important because you know it's not the situation's not going to change in the next 10 years this is something that we've got to live with just like covid right we've lived with covid but the mental health uh, mental issues in society today it's just a growing number because people are seeking treatment now how can we be more supportive for people who are seeking treatment you know and that's the only way that we can destigmatize education how can we create awareness how can people want to know more and be more supportive yeah i think that's a really powerful observation that you make there in terms of how can we support them and something that you said earlier on as well around it's the same as if someone has a medical issue um in as much as it's a bit like saying somebody who has a broken leg can't come back to work because they've got a broken leg you know with a broken leg you can see it but for someone who has you know who's just not well at the moment it's it's not necessarily something permanent that's going to affect everything about their lives it can be if it's not treated or dealt with but that's the same as like with a broken leg if it's not fixed fairly quickly and sure. dealt with then the leg's going to be broken forever and probably amputated but you know so you know that's a very poor analogy i don't mean amputate the brain but you know but you see where i'm going with this you know in as much as because mental health is not seen it's not treated in the same way and as you say there's there's so much backstory around this and sort of anxiety etc um and and it's that and it's a two-way street and i just get the feeling that it's not necessarily um addressed properly around education and awareness and you know slightly sort of shifting the conversation davina and i are very passionate about the fact that you know these are whole human beings that we're bringing into the workplace um you know agreed you don't need to air your dirty laundry etc but it doesn't mean so the things that people love about um any human being is that they are creative or innovative or or you know they they're not just robots and that's why we're hiring people as opposed to robots and the very things that make them as talented as they are are the human aspects but organizations quite often want you to forget those parts because it doesn't suit. And like I said it's not about bringing all your dirty laundry to work but sometimes a little bit of dirty clothing is is what makes that person special or whatever else it is. And I guess I wanted to I guess transition from a sort of getting to know people and trusting is you know as you say it's about relationships you're all about relationships whether it's in the workplace or at home. and you know how do we why do you think it's important to address this and let, let, let me give you an example i recently have a client who is um really um high powered and is about to get a promotion what her boss said to me we would like her to get a promotion but she doesn't seem very hungry even though she's hyper talented within work she is hyper hungry but every time we want to offer her a promotion because she's got all this talent she just basically shies away and then becomes a very different person. And mm. so when I met with this particular client, she said to me, it's simply because her husband doesn't want her to have this job. She wants it. She wants to be a role model for her daughter. 
but her husband doesn't want it. And as a consequence, she's now in a, in a really difficult situation where her, her boss is basically saying, I don't know if I trust her to do the work anymore if her husband's holding her back. She says to me, I'm having difficulties because my husband, she didn't quite use these words, but essentially is quite controlling. Mm. And it's causing her great anxiety because she's sort of not being able to deliver at work, not being able to perform to her best. Is that, I mean, how does someone bring their whole selves to work when they have all of that going on behind the scenes? Wow, that's a tough question. Yeah. A lot of times it comes with a lot of encouragement. I think when the supervisor is aware of the situation, right, and you know how talented she is, right, it's really helping her to gain agency and power and empowerment to take on the role, even though there is opposing views you know, in the family. Because you, you can see that there's so much of her that is not showing up, but it does show up and you caught it, right? And, and when you are able to encourage one and empower someone, it's gonna take a while, but if you're patient enough to journey with them, they will show up. They will take on the challenge and they're gonna, run with it when they when they regain their confidence to do so right but it starts with encouragement it starts with support it starts with you being there for them yeah you know that, yeah that makes so much sense and actually if we think about it relating it to the previous example about say someone who's suffering from depression isn't it a case of just having the organization they will show up you just need to run with it work with them and encourage them and you know in that sense you know that's what employees need from their organizations I mean actually anybody needs whether it's from a child to a parent or you know a parent like or a spouse to a, their partner isn't that what everybody needs is that sort of sense of encouragement and sort of you know giving them agency to flourish within their own rights. Exactly. You know, some of my clients come in, I mean, I've heard of stories where, you know, uh, employees have to, I mean, my clients have to go to the toilet to cry, you know, because they're so afraid of being seen. Sometimes when they're having a, a down moment, you know, they have to get out of the building or, go down to the stackies where they're not seen, where they could hide for a moment to take a breather, you know. But if you, if any one of you knows that and could reach out, that would actually help them to come out and to be not so ashamed of what they're going through and really share. You see, all of us, especially in Singapore, you know, we're taught to be responsible. We have to show up for work. And if you're not show up, if you don't show up for work, you will be kind of like that. Basically, you get a black mark or you'll be penalized or you'll be watched. Whatever it is, that, that creates a lot of fear and anxiety. So 
not a force to show up whether they are good or not, you know. But there are bad days. There are bad days when you're having anxiety issues. There are bad days when you have to present to the board, you know, uh, an important, you know, presentation. And the times that they, they do struggle a lot. But if you're the boss and if you know of it, and if you're able to, you know, you know, hold out a supportive hand, you know, an encouragement that would help them to, that they will be willing to be a bit more vulnerable to share what they are really going through. And they find courage in it to show up and do even much more than what they could imagine themselves doing, really. You know, I think that's what support means, right? Yeah. Absolutely, Sweeney. And I think that, um, you know, when you were saying that, I just had an image in my head of, you know, someone shouting at someone else, right? And you can almost see them cowering mm -hmm. down, right? It's not making things better. But when you hold out your hand to bring them up, right, you, they kind of, they want to stand mm -hmm. up, right? There's that natural human um, reaction to be, once the support is shown, the hand is held out, people mm -hmm. take it. Right, they they don't say no, no, no. They 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 grasp onto the hand that's helping you. Um, moving on slightly, um, you know, going back to Karen's client on the whole person coming to the office, you know, um, and your experience with families and family systems, um, you know, a lot of um, my friends here in Singapore, and I'm sure a lot of your clients as well are experiencing issues with their children. Right, COVID the last two years have been has been very um, challenging not just for us but also you know um you know particularly i'd say teenagers right and uh, here right and you know there's issues of um, eating disorders i've heard um self-harm suicidal thoughts the really difficult um issues that no parent wants to think about um and um, and i think people are finding that very, very challenging, particularly when balancing their careers, right? And, and showing up in the workplace as well, right? If their child needs to go for psychotherapy appointments or um, go to the hospital for, for various reasons, um, they're, they're finding it difficult to share not just their own mental health challenges, right? The stigma related to that, but also, you know, my family, you know, the, the experience of a close member of their family, whether it is their child or someone else. And so what are your thoughts on that in terms of trying to alleviate some of those pressures um, for, for people? You know, we live in such a competitive um, time. You know, if you, you know, you go into chat with colleagues, a lot of times there's a lot of talk about your children when the A-level results come out or the O-level results come out, or the PSLE results come out. But you don't talk about your children when, you know, um, you're having a difficulty with them, or you've, like, you spend the last, the whole night in the hospital, you know, waiting for a diagnosis, okay? Waiting to see the doctor to understand what's really going on with your child. You, these are things you don't share, you know? And, you know, how could we make it easier for people to be able to 
be open if they're having a difficult time with you know their relationships at home, particularly you know the children. You know, um, the the issues that you named are you know they are really really prevalent over here in our society. You know, we know of it that parents find it's shameful to talk about it. It's shameful to share that my child is going through a difficult time or, you know, she's anorexic or she's bulimic. You know, we can't talk about it. We don't talk about it. Yeah. I think it goes back to trusting relationships, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it, it's still hard, you know, because a lot of times when children are having these issues, parents are also very quickened to find treatment for them, right, for the children. But one of the things that also they need, need for is to also seek treatment for themselves, you know, because there's something that is there that's not talked about. It's probably something in the family, you know, that, that needs to be looked at. You know, because the child is struggling, it's something that is happening, it's in the family, you have to talk about it. I think organizations, bosses, colleagues, you know, you know, we, I think these are things that are humane, you know, it's happened, it happens in our families, it happens in, in, you know, with our friends, our family members, you know, how could we be more true to ourselves and be supportive, be understanding, you know, be empathic. These things do happen, it's just that we don't talk about it, we don't want to talk about it, or we don't know how to talk about it. And we shy from even asking, are you okay? Is everything okay with you? Yeah. I think you make a really key point there, um, Sweeney, because as you say, obviously if the teenager or the child in whatever way has, has a concern, it's not isolated. It's it's from a sort of family perspective and there's obviously something that's not addressed which would be the root cause but even if they did want to talk about it as you said they don't know how and I think that is a is a major major concern and if I look at I mean being an executive coach I honestly honestly thought when I first started it's completely naive obviously but I honestly thought I'd go in and help people become better at work and I could just leave them be and they're done and I had a, a huge wake-up call when my first client ever because she again was told she was underperforming and the first thing she said to me was look I know I, why I'm here because I'm, I'm underperforming and you know we're going through a huge merger within this team and I'm supposed to head it up but at the moment I'm failing she goes I have an alcoholic husband I have an alcoholic mother so that's why I'm underperforming. 
And so, you know, that was my huge wake up call. There is no way I can just walk in and help someone be a better leader without addressing essentially all the baggage that comes with them. And I spend more time on baggage than I do on, because everybody knows how to be a better leader. Every, not knows, but I mean, there are certain things that can be, should be taught, but fundamentally they know. It's just, they don't know how to have these conversations. They don't know how to deal and address with these issues. And so to Davina's point and to your point, Sweeney, it's, you know, it's that whole, if you don't fix it, it's very hard to move forward, whether it's at work or at home. And certainly if I look at a lot of my clients, um, some of them, for example, have issues, especially the ones in Asia, where there's more focus on caring for parents as well. Um, it's not just an Asian thing, but, you know, it, there's that as well, where trying to sort of work out the demands of caring for parents and caring for teens, as well as being a good spouse um, at mm. home. Um, you know, for example, um, your husband or, or wife or whatever who gets jealous or abusive because you can't turn up to work events. And I think that's more so for women. And I think we discussed this um, previously as well um, mm. and saying what well, you can't do X, Y or Z for your work, um, you know, and there's, there's, there's all of that sort of stuff. I'm sure trying to balance your home life with your demands from an organizational perspective must be really, really difficult as well. And I wondered if you had any thoughts or observations on that and, and or advice. I think it's so, I, you know, we, we talked about, you know, and women and, and, you know, working women, right? The stresses. I think men do experience these pressures too, you know, staying late, entertaining, or into meetings, yeah, and then coming back and having to deal with, you know, an angry wife, to say. So there are pressures surrounding, you know, work events, right? So how can we be more understanding? How can we be more open if, you know, the staff is not able to make it? Or how can we make it open? more how can we be more open if the spouses are you know are gets upset when they spend too much time at work right and still having to attend an event or events on saturdays you know like people have to work on saturdays right yeah a lot of situation you know it's very interesting my clients would bring up you know this couple would have you know, the, um, the husband actually has to attend an event, quite important one, he had to actually open the event, okay? Because of their relationship issues and she, and he was very happy to actually, you know, bring his wife along, you know, while he was going to open the event. So, but what happened with that, because of that issue, um, she really threw a fit she didn't want to get ready in time and they were late. He was late for the event and he was fuming, but they made it. Okay, he opened the event, all right? But um, they, didn't, they didn't work on this issue until later on that, that they told me about this situation, right? But there are situations like these, you know? And there are things that are happening, but 
I, I wondered when we notice it, when we observe, you know, sometimes we have to just check in. Are you okay? Do you want to talk about this? I think for a start, what all of us could do is maybe being open to listen. Let somebody share a bit what's really going on, when we can pick it up. You know, we pick it up, but we avoid it a lot of times or we ignore it because we're afraid of, you know, impinging on someone's privacy. But how do you know? It could be so much more healing when we actually check in. You know, are you okay? You know, um, uh, something happened today? And when someone actually opens up and shares, it's a lot easier for them to let it go and just move on. Yeah. I think it, it brings confidence, it brings courage to show up. Yeah. And uh, we're running a bit low on time, Queenie, but I think, um, you know, to, to wrap all of this up, you know, from mm. every conversation that we've had with you, and something that Karen and I vehemently believe in as well, is that human conversation aspect, right? The uh, um, listening aspect, right? The asking and being curious um, and available to having discussions in relationships with other people, whether it's your boss, your colleagues, somebody you don't know so well having a bad day, your family members. I think what this all boils down to is literally just being a human being. There's one thing that I like to share. Um, you know, I, 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 like I said just now, you know, about being, you know, about listening. A lot of times we listen through our own personal filters. And sometimes we make judgments because we make those assumptions you know, because we hear through the prisons of our own personal experience, right? But all it takes is for us to hear and listen. First, to disconnect from our own filters or our own prejudice or beliefs, but to be open to listen, you know, without any of that. Yeah. And to take in whatever we hear you know, sometimes it's okay not to be able to say anything. But like Davina, you said, like holding out your hand, right? And say, I'm with you. It's okay. You'll be okay. We're, we're in this together. You know? Yeah. And or you've got me. You know, you can call me anytime if you need to talk. You know, I think that's a really important point you make there because quite often people don't necessarily need you to solve their problems because I think mm. one of the reasons why people are very don't want to hear is because they don't know how to deal with it and they don't know how to solve it for somebody but actually more often than not someone just wants to be able to say it to somebody let a little bit of air out the, out of the proverbial balloon and they will process it themselves that they just need someone to talk to and someone to feel safe with, that they're not alone. Um, you know, that's sort of what I'm gathering from all yeah, of this. Exactly. I think safety. Are we creating safety for people to share? 
you know, I think we can if we try to listen without our own, you know, filters. So we yeah. just listen. Yeah. So Sweeney, if I if you were to leave us or our audience with some sort of words of wisdom or advice, you know, what would you say to our organizations um, or our employees? I mean, what would you say? What would you advise? Okay. Now, I go back to relationships, okay? You know, we put a lot of uh, importance in family relationships, but your relationship with your staff or your boss it's also a very important one, okay? Within organizations, um, at times, you know, you could also trigger someone's um, anxiety, yeah, or uh, a struggle, and you could tip them over with your words, okay? So we have to be careful as well, you know. Um, we have to be careful and we have to remember that a lot of times, if you're able to support, encourage, and care, because that relationship is important to you, I believe they are important to you. They are going to deliver the job for you you know, or at least, you know, as peers, we have to work together in this project, right? You being there and, and we work through, we share this job together. It's an important relationship. Yeah. When we talk about relationships, it's not just family, but, you know, a Supervisor, supervise the employee. I mean, employee relationships are important because a lot of times we spend what twelve hours, twelve to sixteen hours a day at work. Yeah, and a lot of times the influence, the impact that you have on your peers. Your, your staff, you know, it's major, it's not small, it's, it's huge. So work on them, yeah. So that even though, you know, your staff is struggling, not performing well, you find ways to work through it. You find ways, you're, you're better at handling it because you're willing to work it through. Yeah. Whether it's talking it through or, you know, um, getting the team to think about, okay, how can we work through this together? I think it's also part and parcel of, you know, a responsibility that we take on as long as we work in an organization together. Okay, well, with that and Sweeney, thank you so much for all your wise words of wisdom. Uh, where can people find you if they would like to connect or speak to you? 
All right. Um, well, I would give you my WhatsApp number if that, that works. Uh, no, or an email or a website. Uh, yeah. Um, can people find you on LinkedIn? Is there maybe a, a, if they look up your name on or on Google, they can they can find you easily there as well. Yeah, they can definitely find me on Google. Yeah, in okay. case you get like an onslaught of uh, WhatsApp. <laughs> I know, because that, that's what happens even whether it's on Facebook or Instagram, they usually get me on WhatsApp number and they will text me. Yeah. Yeah. All right, but I'll, I'll leave you my email or, yeah, or a, a, a website address. Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll make sure that people can, can easily reach you um, going forward. Um, but I'd like to thank you very, very much for um, all your thoughts and sharing and for all the work that you do to help people um, you know, work through their, their issues or challenges in life with a very open and empathetic listening ear. I can, I can really get that sense while speaking to you here today that you, you provide them much Thank comfort. Thank you. Thank you for Thank having you, me. Thank, Thank you. you.